today's scripture is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through chapter 2, verse 4. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia, and to come back to you from Macedonia, and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it was always, it is always, yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is thought through him, it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over our faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind, do not for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And as I write, and as I wrote as I did, so that what, when I came I might not suffer from pain from those who should have made me rejoice, but I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish, of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Second, 
what does authentic Christian leadership and authentic Christian ministry and authentic Christian community, what exactly does that look like? So that's what we're exploring in this series. And so please uh, invite other people that you know uh, to join us in this series, uh, whether they can make it here or if they live further away, um, they can listen online. Um, but we want more and more people to actually find themselves, and we believe that the only way that we're actually found and known and loved is by coming to God in the gospel. That's what we believe here. And so would you join me in prayer before we start? Father, thank you for uh, giving us your word today, because in it we have abundant hope for tomorrow and the next day, and the day after that. And so this morning we ask that you would show us your faithfulness, that we could sing as uh, the saints of old did, great is thy faithfulness. Even when we can't see it, and when we don't feel it, and when we don't even want to hear about it. Give us eyes and ears to see, to hear, to delight in you. Amen. Uh, somebody once told me, you know, you're young, and uh, you're going to have a lot of disappointment ahead of you. So you'd better get used to it, son. You can almost hear John Wayne in that voice, you know? And uh, he was right, and I did, and uh, based on my own past, I'm pretty sure that the future beholds a lot of disappointment in this life. Um, that's to be almost guaranteed. And so his advice to me was very good advice. It wasn't good news, though. Um, poet, spoken word artist, Eric, you might appreciate that one, um, and uh, author, uh, Amina Brown, uh, she writes in her book, how to fix a broken record. She says this, I thought I'd be pregnant by now. Later on, she explains this. She says, Our journey to one day having children has not been blissful, innocent, joyous, or as easy as I expected it to be. It's been a journey of loss, heartbreak, delay, doctor appointments, test results, delays, stress, frustration, more appointments, more delays. Hope seems to be a liability too expensive to carry in the face of so much disappointment. Mm. I mean, it might not be pregnancy, um, but each of us can relate to Brown's experience, and we can find some disappointment, whether by looking at the past, or we're exploring the present, or he was just in the near future. Um, so whenever we find ourselves down, it can be hard to have hope. And now I, I know for some people, disappointment always seems to lead them to greater faith. It's almost like um, those, those disappointments almost work for them to be um, uh, leading them into, you know, daring to be a greater Daniel and, and, and slaying bigger Goliaths. You know, I mean, like, you're like, what is going on here? I don't get that. Um, <laughs> that's some people. But what, what happens when we find ourselves stuck with a weak faith? What happens when we don't want to pray to God the words anymore? I don't want a God. You keep bringing me more no's, and I'm, I'm, I'm afraid if I pray, I'll wind up with more heartache in my future and more letdowns. 
What if that's where we're at? As Brown continues, she says, How do I keep going to God and asking when it seems like his constant answer is no or wait? How do I keep believing the God who says no or wait when he knows how much that no or wait hurts me? And then she says, How do I believe that God actually has my best interests at heart? Um, Today I want to give you not just good advice, but I want to give you good news. And what I want to tell you about, what I want to show you from the Bible, our anchor, is that God is faithful even when the answer is no. Even when it's no. And so as you leave Redemption Church this morning, um, I want you to hold on to that. Tightly. And so when you step out on your Monday or Tuesday or Thursday or Saturday, and you're hit with disappointment, which sometimes feel like a, feels like a punch in the face, comes out of nowhere. That you have that, okay? So I want to look at two things this morning. Uh, first, life's many knows. There are a lot of those. And then I want us to look at um, God's unwavering yes. So two things this morning. So life's many knows. Uh, so if, if you're human, right, if you're like an ordinary human being, Um, and I'll say this too, especially if uh, you find yourself believing and trusting and resting and hoping in the Christian message, Christ crucified, then you're going to experience a lot of no's in this life. Um, There will be some sizable detours in the road up ahead, uh, or a moment when the easy thing to do is not the right thing to do, and so you might end up getting a big fat slap in the face no, Um, maybe in a job or a relationship or another situation that you're in. And so the Apostle Paul, he was no stranger to life's no's. This guy had to change his own travel plans three times um, as we're thinking about 2 Corinthians. So, uh, And that that wasn't because he necessarily wanted to, but really because ultimately God wanted him to. And so as as a result of these changes in his life, he was actually experiencing a lot of difficulty with the church in Corinth. Uh, To put it another way, more colloquially, uh, Paul had a relationship with the Corinthian church that if it were posted up on Facebook as a status a number of years ago, it would have said, in a relationship with, dot, 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 it's complicated. Anybody? All right. Uh, Those new, new to reading the Bible... Uh, Paul was the original founder of this church, and he started a lot of churches. And so he was away for some time, quite often. And so by the time that he got back to Corinth uh, for a visit, the church was in this really bad state. It was in a state of of turmoil. And he he describes it as a painful visit. Um, That's what he refers to, to, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And and one person in particular uh, was very, very outspoken about Paul, making false accusations about him. And uh, this person actually roused up a minority group in the church uh, to oppose him. And at first it doesn't sound like a big deal, right? Because it's like, well, Paul still had the majority on his side, right? 
But the thing is, the majority did what most majorities do, and they did nothing <laughs> in the wake of that. So, I mean, they, didn't, they, did, they neither uh, confirmed nor denied right, the minority's position. And so uh, what that did is it, it made for continual pain in the life of this church. And so Paul decided it would be best uh, to leave without retaliating back at that time. And so he went away, and he, he chose to leave, and he, he decided to write a letter instead, so to confront them with words while further away. That's what he decided to do. And he says that he, de- he did that, as we heard in the opening, to spare them. He was acting mercifully towards them. Uh, not wanting to use his status as an apostle to tear them down, but to actually build them up. That's how, that's how he describes it. And so he writes a letter, which is a letter that we don't have. You're like, wait, what? We don't have that letter? Um, yeah, it's, it's usually called uh, Third Corinthians or Corinthians letter C, and I'm going to explain this in another week. Um, and so they respond to the letter by repenting. The problem is, once again, not everybody did. The rebel rouser kind of continued. And so this minority remained unconvinced and kept stirring the pot. And so that's why we have the letter that we're reading, our 2 Corinthians, which is actually 4 Corinthians, or Corinthians letter D. So I'm going to explain this later. Not today. So come back, if you're curious. Uh, so, so all this to say... How do you deal with a change in plans? When life throws you a curveball, as some baseball fans like to say, or as people just commonly say, you know, when you get that curveball in your life, how do you handle it? Uh, say something that you've never thought you, had, you would ever have to deal with, that that something comes your way. So maybe you have to take care of a parent, like you used to change diapers for your children, now you're doing that for your parent. Or you're planning on going back to work, but now you're at home with the kids. Or you wanted to get married, or, or you were married, and it didn't work out. Now what? How do you deal with altered plans that have caused you pain? How do you cope with life, life's many no's? See, Paul's plans, they changed many times here, and it caused controversy. He was supposed to travel to Corinth, on his way to Macedonia, then he changed plans. He was supposed to go back to Corinth on his way from Macedonia, but he altered course, changed plans. Uh, He outlines this in verse 15. Follow along with me. Verse 15, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. Verse 16, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. And so what we see here is that his change in itinerary led to these accusations. And so what did they accuse him of? Let's, let's you know, get a bigger, fuller picture of this. So verse 17, he tells them. And he asks a question, and then he defends himself against this accusation. So he says this, verse 17. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? And to explain this, the, the, the charge against him is that, Paul, you're being wishy-washy. Uh, that he's talking out of both sides of his mouth, saying one thing but meaning another, saying yes but really meaning no, or saying no but really meaning yes. 
which is confusing, right? And I think if, as we're reading this, and, we're, and we're, we're going, I mean, doesn't part of you just want to side with the Corinthian minority there a little bit? Because th you're thinking about like this like kind of wishy-washy behavior. I mean, somebody says that they're coming and they don't show up. Like if you invite somebody over for dinner, you're like, okay, cool, we agree on the time, the place, like everything's happening, they don't show up, do it again, again, again. <laughs> I mean, you start questioning integrity there, right? That's a natural thing. And I, I'll bet that we know somebody that fits this description too, if we're honest, if we're authentic. They're unreliable. And so when we ask them to do something for us or to be somewhere, we can't count on it. Do you know anybody like that? Another way this can be understood is with an impulsive person. Um, somebody who makes rash, unpredictable uh, choices, decisions that are unstable and careless. And so in the ancient world, Paul's time specifically, um, so not that ancient, just somewhat ancient, Paul's time, uh, it was a great offense to be known as a fickle person. Uh, culturally, that was a bad sin. And so uh, the, the Jews and the Romans didn't like fickleness. Reliability, those who kept their word, that was a virtue. Unreliability was a vice. And so in this culture, people who fit the, that description would often get made fun of. Um, and, and the thing that's interesting here is that rather than criticize the culture on this point, what does Paul do? Paul actually sides with the culture. And he raises the bar. He ups the ante you're a poker player or whatever, ups the ante. He agrees fickleness, unreliability, impulsive behavior, that that's out of line, not just culturally, but with the character of God himself and with the gospel that he has been commissioned to preach, which is a reliable, a trustworthy, a true word. And so he really doesn't waffle on his commitments, and that's what this letter is really about. He's showing that, his integrity, that he keeps his word. Uh, the problem is, as we're going to find out later in the series, uh, this church should have known that already and trusted him. But they didn't. And so, I mean, the world that, we're, that we live in is changing fast. Uh, places are changing. I mean, like, ever, go, ever drive through an old town that you used to know, you used to live in even? And you go back, and it's like all this new construction's there, and you're almost, you feel displaced as you're driving. You're like, I didn't remember a bridge here. <laughs> I don't remember a big, you know. That, it's, it's disorienting as you're doing that because um, stuff changes. Maybe we don't pay much attention. Um, at least for me, every time I look in the mirror, I see more gray hairs popping up. You know what I mean? It's like, what? I don't remember that many. I guess it's been there for a while. Or uh, each year, more pounds on the scale. Um, and, and, and plans change, people change. Uh, we know that. But the question here is, does God change? Is God changeable? How can I keep believing? How can I keep hoping and resting and trusting? Or, or how can I start believing? How can I start to hope? Say, if you, if you find yourself you know, brand new to what Christianity even is, or not really sure, and that's where you're at right now, how do you even start? Maybe you're wondering when you're facing life's many no's, sorry, a lot of no's, maybe you're wondering, how do I believe that God actually has my best interests at heart, as Amina Brown said? How can I be sure of that? 
So I'm going to talk about that now in our second point. God's unwavering yes. So look with me at verse 18. He says, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. Verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it's always yes. always yes. And so you can believe that God actually has your best interests at heart because he's proved to be reliable in the past. God is faithful. God is good all the time. Let me ask this. What do we usually assume about God, about a God who tells us no? What do we usually assume about him? I think of, uh, you know, it's like the, the, the child in the candy store, and uh, they're in the candy shop with dad or mom, and, uh, and, you know, the parent's always saying, don't touch that, don't chew on that, don't grab that, don't go after that, and you're like, dude, this kid's are surrounded by sugar, it's everywhere, like, just give him a piece of candy, you know, like, what do you expect, he's in a candy shop, right, it's kind of like that, um, but we don't like hearing no from anybody. Uh, we, we really like our independence. We like getting our own way. And so a God who says no, sometimes, well, that must mean that he's a cold, harsh, unloving God to say no sometimes. That's not fair, we might think. Or, or, or maybe you're starting to look around and, and, and you're looking at other people, you're comparing yourself, and maybe you're starting to believe, you know, God cares more about that person than he does me. She got the job promotion. He got the bigger house or the better car. That's not fair. Her life kept going on and mine seems to be going nowhere. I feel stuck. Not fair. And so, I mean, when our, when our present moment is not a happy ending, how can we trust these words that God is faithful, as Paul so, so confidently says, it like rolls off his tongue in confidence. You're going, how, how can you even say that, though? Like, you don't know what I'm going through. And part of me wishes I could tell you the lie that everything's just going to be all right. And, and, you know, your life's just going to turn around right away and lickety-split, you know, if you just have enough faith. Oh, if you just have enough. Like part of me wishes I could just say that, you know, because it's comforting. But that would be to seriously, grossly misrepresent God and the Bible he's given us and the real life he's surrounded us with. That God is not a yes man. Like, no amount of my force of saying yes is going to change circumstances that I can't change around me. So God's not a puppet that, you know, I can, I can, I can force with my hand to manipulate and make him do whatever I want. And so then what hope do we have? I mean, hearing this message right here, it's like, gosh, this sounds so depressing. Uh, God sounds like a total cosmic buzzkill who's ruining my life movie. 
And so how can we have any confidence in the face of enormous no's, life's many no's, and a lot of life's maybes, uncertainty? Well, the reason for our confidence is found in verse 20. So come on, follow with me, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And then verse 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. Verse 22. And who has also put a seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So what Paul is, is saying here is that all of, of life's uncertain and reliable no's are met with a certain and reliable yes of God and Jesus Christ. I want to explain that and tease that out a little bit. But like, in a time of great difficulty for Paul, in ministry, for his ministry team, personal pain for him, with this church, what does Paul go back to? Does Paul cave into self-help? You know, he goes to the bookstore and he grabs a copy of whatever self-help book he can get to make him feel really good right this second. Does he promise the prosperity message of a best life now? Does Paul try to mask his pain by manning up and toughing it out? Does he find a way to massage it with pleasure or numb his pain in a bottle or by swallowing pills? No. What Paul does is Paul goes back to the very first word that he preached to the Corinthians. Because one of the earlier letters was 1 Corinthians. We went through last summer. And in that letter, he grounds stuff. I mean, he, he just flat out says, I decided to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul places his hope, he, he leans in on the gospel of grace. He places his hope, his confidence, his trust is in the gospel. It's the gospel that he returns to again and again and again whenever he faces a crisis. It's the gospel that he leans in on when he faces unfair accusations from people he knew for over 18 months, ministered to, preached to. When disappointment comes, whenever trouble meets him, when the storms come, the waves come crashing down upon him and his, his, his ministry team, his default mode is to return back again and again and again to the gospel. Back to the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Again and again. And that's what he wants for us too. In Christ, God, uh, life's many no's are always, yesterday, today, and forever, they are always met with the unfailing yes of God. And so what Paul wants us to see, and he wants our hope to be, is this. He, he, he connects the cross of Christ to the charges against him. You're unreliable, they say. You're wishy-washy, they say. And those accusations, they, they come at him, and they're trying to tear and take him down. And what does he say? From where does he draw hope? Confidence. Where does he gain power and authority in his own weakness? It's verse 20, says it. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why. That is why, he says. It is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. 
And so, I mean, the, the, the source of all his confidence and the source of his own comfort is in the cross of Christ alone. God does what we don't expect. God does what we don't even want. But what he does and what we're not even looking for is always what we need. I mean, think about this. If God always did what we expected, there would have been no cross, there certainly would have been no Christ, there would have been no forgiveness for our sins, and we would still have no hope. But God's power was hidden in suffering, talking about the cross, God's promise was disguised in death, and God's plan was masked in pain. I mean, this is the God who has the perfect track record of completely shocking the world by his faithfulness. When everybody thinks he's silent, many Israelites, many, you know, many Jews long waited and expected for this Messiah to come. People think he's silent and he's distant and he's so far removed and he doesn't care about me at all. Where is God? He doesn't do anything about our awful situation. God's promise is and was, and it always will be Jesus. And Jesus alone provides us with real and lasting and unwavering comfort. But Jesus isn't always the kind of comfort that we really want, is he? I think you know what I'm talking about. You know, some days the gospel sounds nice, but the beamer sounds nice too. Some days, sure, faith is good and all, but I want that new house, or I'm lonely. So I want to share with you where Amina Brown, uh, who I mentioned a few times now, where she ended up, she writes this. She says, in her misery, in her disappointment, she says this, one thing I want my soul to remember is that life isn't always good, humans aren't always good. But God is good always. And then she concludes, I don't say that because it's convenient. I don't say it to silence the frustrations, doubts, and questions. I say it because our tears and frustrations and doubts and hurt feelings and anger matter to God. I say it because I know how scary hope can be when you've lived with disappointment so long. I say it because I'm living every day trying to hold the tension of fully trusting in a God my humanity will never completely understand. And as I sit in that tension, my heart still wants to believe in the God whose love is found in prosperity and poverty, in answers and in questions, in disappointment and in miracles. End quote. I know that there are a lot of life's no's, and no's suck. I mean, they do. We don't want to hear a no. (laughs) We want to hear a yes. (laughs) But often God says no to what we want because we've turned what we really want into an idol. We've bowed down to things and to people and to plans and to goals and to hopes and dreams that would absolutely kill us if we got them. 
We think they give us freedom, but it's slavery. And so they're the lies, they're the, they're the false uh, narratives that we tell ourselves and we try to convince others of and shut people out with that we, that we want to believe in that, that will only bring us more hurt and more pain. But we're too blind to even see it, and so we keep believing them anyways. It's true or true, it's oh, such a common experience. So common that it's common to all humanity. <laughs> Me, you, everybody. And so the, the call from God this morning, what God is saying from his word in 2 Corinthians this morning, is he's inviting us and calling us to repent and believe in the gospel, whether for the first time or again. Repent means turn away. Flee from finding fulfillment in anything or anyone other than God. Give up the glory story. Give up your quest for independence and believe in the God who is dependable, reliable, unwavering, unswerving, who through faith in Christ always says yes, no matter what tomorrow brings. Can I get an amen if you believe that? Amen. Amen. I mean, because, man, Jesus didn't come here to, he didn't show up to just to improve our lives. In our culture, we like to turn him into that. We like to keep Jesus really safe and comfortable and manageable. We like to make him an accessory that we can tuck away into our pocketbooks, our wallets, our purses, or our glove, glove boxes in our cars, you know. Take Jesus out when I need him on Sunday. That's what we do with Jesus. But Jesus is not after our best life now. He came here to crucify that life and bury it so that he could raise us together with him and give us new life. And so so Paul's message and his ministry, it's shaped by the cross, it's built on the cross, and it hangs on the cross. And so the message that he's preaching here is that God is faithful, God is good, God is trustworthy. I mean, we can hang our lives on this news because Jesus Christ hung his own life on the cross for us to bring us this news, to give us joy. And so, I mean, this message is faithfulness, not of man, but of God in Christ. And the hope that we have, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, no matter what the world looks like out there today or tomorrow, or no matter what I'm feeling inside at this present moment, that doesn't keep me going. What keeps me going day after day is news about my future, which is fixed. And my present, which is firm. And it's a hope that depends upon what God has already finished and accomplished in the past and promised to do in the future, and that actually changes my immediate present too. Because God has already raised Jesus from the dead. So even life's knows, whatever they look like, ultimately they can only end in God's affirmative, unswerving, unwavering yes and amen. And God's yes is more powerful than the world's no's. God's yes says, yes, I've vanquished death. God's yes says, God is still faithful even when the answer is no. And true faith, no matter how weak, 
no matter how fragile, no matter how small, that's not daring to be a Daniel and slaying Goliath and all that, but is so minute, feels like it's a wick, a little flame about to burn out, that true faith will begin to see this hope despite disappointments. And true authenticity will start to pray, even though it's hard. And will start to say, even if experience is the exact opposite, that God's yes, which is Jesus Christ, remains my hope and my confidence and my comfort, and that in this, God will rescue me again and again. Let's pray. Father, even when the answer is no, we know that your promises will find their yes in your son Jesus. And you promise to give us rest and peace and hope and love and, and joy even when it seems like you've turned away from us, like you're hiding from us, we're asking God, where are you? Oh Lord, your spirit reminds us that actually you've already met us in your son. You've met us in Jesus who suffered in our place and promises us that one day all suffering and pain and pressure and fear and anxiety and doubt and depression and disappointment will end. And God, we say today, you are good. We say you are faithful. We ask that you would help us to deep down believe that in our bones. Even when our experience is the opposite. Help our unbelief, Father. Amen. Well, if you would continue to worship God with me this morning.